Hello and welcome to Daft Souls episode Christmas. I can't remember the number, but it's Christmas. So welcome to this special Christmas-themed edition of the podcast in which we won't be talking about anything to do with Christmas. It will just be uh, just be games. That's great. I came here for the games, Matt. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to see what your reaction was when I said, it's Christmas-themed. Hooray! Don't worry, it isn't. It's just normal games. And <laughs> as, you, as you may have noticed now, this week it is a, a two-man special. It's just me. And Mr. Quentin Smith. Happy to be here, Matthew Lees. And you've here for a while. It's nice to have you here. Uh, yeah, no, it's good to come back. The live show that you did seemed to go well. I yeah, thought, that was ages ago, wasn't it? It was. That's, it's, I haven't been on for so long. That's ridiculous. I've, I've been playing some games, though. What games have you been playing? Mostly, I've been trying not to die in hostile environments. Well, actually, that describes every game. Yeah, but it's so, London, isn't it? That's also London. That's a terrible intro. Let me try again. I've been playing survival games. I've mm. been playing, mostly... Um, a couple, uh, This War of Mine, and also The Long Dark, and The Long Dark is the one that's captured my heart. So, like, it's funny these days, because you turn on Steam, and you just can't move for survival games. You know, it's games that rip off Minecraft and feature crafting, or games that kind of follow after Terraria and don't starve, and you're building, and you're crafting, and you're crafting, and you're building, and it seems almost like this is a big genre which everyone's cashing in, you know, uh, sort of cynically for. But actually, I've realised that I love this. I want even more. I love this battle of player versus environment as an alternative to players versus just enemies, monsters, you mm. know? It, it creates a more sort of plausible, rounded gaming like community for, rather than just murder, which is what we've had for 20 years. But anyway... Uh, I know what you mean. I, I think one of the things with survival-style games, especially... It's why I've said in the past, I always like the start of a game of Minecraft is my favourite. Yes, game. exactly. Like, when you don't have anything, you have to build a small house and it'll get dark and scary. But then... As with most of these games in this genre, it becomes this thing of the beginning is difficult, but then once you're kind of established, it becomes a case of actually you just sort of then just being all right, and right. you only really get killed because you slip up at some point. Exactly, and I don't think that you and I like Don't Starve very much. Um, I haven't actually played it, but oh, if I've, you know, I've heard good things. It's, it's, it's okay, but um, it's not enormously interesting. The world, which is this kind of... Um, Grim, dark, nightmare before Christmas idea of the woods with all these creepy animals and mm. bees and bears and uh, that's all right. But um, the game itself is is somewhat repetitive and I, I would say it's it's kind of devoid of magic. But what I am playing that I do love is the Long Dark, and this is um, an, on early access. Yeah, I was going to say because this isn't out yet. Is no, it? it's By, anyway. But it seems like everything I'm playing is on early access at the minute, whether it's Invisible Ink or this or um, other games that I can't remember right now. Um, but I do love turning on Steam and all these games updating and getting to have new features. Yeah, the long dark sees you uh, crashing in a plane in a snowy wilderness and you have two objectives which are staying warm and getting food. And that is the extent of it. It's a first person game and so much development time has just been put into crafting this freezing cold, very immersive snowy wilderness. I've heard a lot about this actually. I think it was Andy Kelly who was talking about on Twitter about the way they've really managed to create a sense of like the fires in that game having a real sense of warmth yeah like no it's it's fantastic and i think it's it comes down to quite simply that the world is so cold like if you're walking along then you will get colder your clothes just aren't warm enough you can try and get uh, wind breakage like if you sort of hug walls or you're in uh, little gullies then the game will start saying you feel a little warmer but really it will however smart you play it will just start saying incredibly creepy things like you're cold you're freezing you feel quite sleepy now no. maybe you should just have a lie down no that's and, what bankers do on benches at christmas i know and, and they die and so you don't want to die um but the uh the fundamental problem is that you need to explore because you need to find more food like you can get firewood as long as you have an axe but that's great but axes degrade and so even if you find yourself in a good situation where you can go ice fishing and you've got your axe, so you've got your food and warmth sorted, every day that passes, your axe is getting in worse and worse shape and you're looking at this, this single object, which is the weakest link in your survival chain, going, when this breaks, I'm going to die. <laughs> so you know your situation isn't permanent, so you think, okay, maybe I can break out to the west because I haven't seen what's to the west. Maybe there'll be something there. And then maybe you find nothing but sheer cliffs and forests. So you turn back and then you went back in this this house, which you know will be your grave if you so don't work something out. is this a kind of pre-made area then? Is this like the sort it of thing? It is, yeah. I initially thought it was randomly generated because I'm an idiot. But instead what it is, is uh, it's multiple levels. There are two in the game at the minute. 
and when you start, you spawn in a random location in this. Gotcha. So probably after playing the Long Dark in one area for 20 hours, you'll know it not like the back of your hand, because it's still really difficult to navigate. And in fact, one of the great things about this snowy environment is, um, let's say, Matt, you've got your really nice clothes, and you've got loads of wood, and you've got about... 10 kilograms of frozen fish in your house. Sounds like a sweet party. It's a great deal, isn't it? And you've got matches and you've got uh, you've got some needle and thread to repair your gloves and your boots. And uh, But there's one thing you're missing, which is the can opener. And you know there's a village to the north because you've seen it. You go off to the north and then, you know, maybe you see a wolf and you get nervous and you hide from the wolf for a bit. You, you light a flare to scare the wolf away. And then you realise that there's trees in 360 degrees around you and in fighting the wolf you've forgotten which way you came from ah. and you you go well that's okay because the game has boot prints but it's snowing very heavily and the boot prints have already been covered up and you've just lost everything because you've lost your sense of direction and that's so plausible and so immersive it's so they've made it so that you don't have access to things like a map and a compass no you don't you don't you could draw a map yourself next to the PC which I've started doing um, but then your own maps are like fallible because yeah yeah definitely uh, which is again uh, really really interesting and also uh, the weather in it is relatively straightforward it can be quite clear that can be snow that can be really heavy snow and it's funny because you'll leave your house on some days or cabin or whatever gulch you're living in and then it'll be really snowy and you'll go nah <laughs> and you'll go back <laughs> inside because you know if you walk off into that you probably won't find your way home yeah it's, that it, sounds amazing it's a ton of fun um, and yeah I just I love that it doesn't feel to me like this is yet another game cashing in on the survival craze. This, to me, feels like a whole new way to play video games that we're just starting to explore. Like, I'm, I, I've not felt this uncynical about something in games for so long. I want to see hundreds more survival games. That would make me happy. I know what you mean. I think I, I do like the straight-up nature of it as well. Like, survival horror has always been a thing. It's always been the combination yeah. of the two. You've got to survive. And they're zombies, <laughs> which is cool. I like I like zombies, yeah, but, but it turns out like you that you have to survive, and there's some trees is still perfectly good, you know. Yeah, now that sounds exciting. It's nice. Um, the other thing I've been playing though is uh, this War of Mine, which is similar. Well, actually, it's nothing like it. It's a side-scrolling platform. I'm interested in this, but I'm mainly interested in this, but just because of the way I've seen it talked about mm. from seeing the trailers and stuff, and seeing like little bits about it I've kind of it's made me want to roll my eyes and ugh, some of the quotes I've seen oh really I don't know I, I think it may just be that I've just it may actually be really good but what have you seen that made I you curl up know. in your chair I, I think there was just I think that somebody said like oh this is like being actually in a war and I was like oh you can't write that that's yeah. really awkward have you been in a war I don't know I mean it's just yeah but but tell me because basically I've, I don't know I've been yeah, I think it's the sort of thing where when somebody's actually trying to be like, this is a game about the horrors of war, and I yeah. sort of think, how well have they done that? Well, very good things, though, but it's, tell me. it's interesting, and I think it's a mixed bag, as you would imagine from tackling such a huge subject. But first off, I'm with you. You know, when I see uh, FPSs about World War II, like when um, Medal of Honor was at its heyday, like in early noughties, I was like wincing, especially at the TV advertising. Um, and this is, well, first off, you need to know it has a very light hand. It's about, oh, God, I... It's an Eastern European conflict that it's modelling. It, it never says it specifically, but it very much is calling on this Eastern European conflict in, I think, the 90s? Um, wherein there's rebel forces fighting government forces, but you play as just the civilians in the city who can't get out. Mm. Um, and it's a lot. Of, there's not enough food, so loosely you have a kind of XCOM-style base which you're developing. Like, you know, you're building beds and trying to get a radio working so you know what the weather's going to be like and you're shoring up your defences and maybe you're distilling alcohol in the basement because the whole game is about surviving this in this economy and I think a lot of survival games do this where you have to you d you're never going to have enough of everything in your scavenging right. so you need to have a surplus of something and then you're going to need to trade like for example the cigarettes that you've got someone rolling in the basement for the food that you need and uh, and then at night it becomes this platforming thing where you go off into houses and find what you're going to find. Uh, and that's interesting because sometimes you'll enter a burning house and there's nothing there and that's cool. But there's this horrific thing that happens. And this is why the game is interesting um, as to how you treat other humans and how scared you become of other humans. And I think if this War of Mine succeeds at anything, it succeeds at the, the sort of terror and the uncertainty of um, how other people will treat you. 
uh, when you see them uh, because sometimes people will sort of like be horrific and have guns and mm. just kill you for what you have, which is where the gamers receive criticism because people who've been in the conflict have said, it wasn't like that. Actually, everyone just looked out for each other. Um, and that's not the case in the game. You can find some people doing some really dark stuff. But where the game succeeds is in things like someone might knock on your door in the day and it's a woman saying like, uh, there have been a lot of murders and rapes uh, at night, so it would be really great if one of you could come and help board up our windows. And it's like, do you want to give up one of your people for a day to go off and do this? Because the game's not going to be like, when your person comes back, he found a magical sword! So well done for making the right moral choice! It's like, no, you'll just lose a guy for a day, and yeah. that's a day he's not rolling cigarettes. Or... Yeah. So it's interesting, and it has a really interesting art sort of uh, palette, and uh, the biographies of people are really good as well. When you have... Um, I don't know, some school teacher or like a school uh, principal and she comes to you and you're looking after her. And it's funny because she's useless. And if you click on her bio, it's all this like stuff of her saying, yeah, I thought I was important and now I guess I'm useless. Ha <laughs> This is actually really depressing because she can't do anything because she's comparatively unfit. And, uh, and so then you get into the ethical questions of things games have done before of, do you want to get rid of the useless woman and keep all of the fit men who can go off and scavenge at night? Or do you want to protect the women? And the game doesn't tell you that anything's ethically right or wrong. It just... Just leaves but, it up to you. doesn't reward you either way. It's yeah, just, which is fine and interesting. Um, I'm certainly enjoying The Long Dark more, but it it's nice. It has base building and platforming and, and ethical dilemmas in a modern war. So that's something, I guess. Yeah. You should play it. It's interesting. No, yeah. I, I intend to at some point. Um, some of the stuff you've been saying there is, reminds me of something very different I've been playing recently. I know, oh, yeah? I know you're not as into it because you've just sort of lost interest in the Game of Thrones <laughs> universe. Yeah. As we were talking about yesterday. But uh, I, I've been playing the Game of Thrones thing from Telltale. I've just put up a really big video about it, actually. So if you have played it a little bit yourself already and you have play then check that out because I go into a bit more detail and like you know there are some mild spoilers in that video etc but generally what I've been impressed by is the fact that it does kind of work so well within mm. the everyone was like oh yeah of course it will work really well in Game of Thrones because like Game of Thrones is a series where people die all the time mm. which is like what happens in The Walking Dead but that's not actually why it works it's like it works because of the fact that a like The Walking Dead puts you into a world in which like morality has suddenly had to be kind of on hold sometimes <laughs> it's this thing of being like we kind of maybe need to just not be 100% moral now but then we'll get back to being moral yep. and it's about this idea of like morality sliding and where do you draw the line whereas in the setting of Game of Thrones like morality's never really been that much of a big deal <laughs> and actually the people who haven't been terribly moral have consistently done better. Well, now here's something uh, that I'd like to ask you. So the interesting thing about The Walking Dead was that um, it questioned how much you cared about morality in a world where morality didn't really have a place anymore. Yeah. I get what you're saying, that Game of Thrones is the best possible setting because it's already morally grey. But also, doesn't that just mean, like, it's a world and a setting where there is no morality. It's always been characters looking out for themselves. Therefore, you're not making ethical decisions anymore. No, you're not. Um, but the, that's what's that's why it's different, you see. That's why it's quite clever in the fact that actually it looks very similar on the surface, but it's actually very different. The Walking Dead, for me, was very much about the fact that decisions you were making were a reflection of yourself. And the reason it was powerful was because, although you might be making these decisions on the basis of what these characters might do, you, more than anything, there was a reflection of you in there. And, there yeah. was a, you kind of, and that's why it was great, because you walked away from it feeling quite guilty. So like, with, but with God, Game of Thrones. That sort of person? Whereas this, Game of Thrones is a lot less introspective, but that's also because of the fact that you're not just controlling one character. Uh. You're controlling multiple characters who have similar aims. Okay. So basically, rather than being like looking out just for one character's survival or looking out for one person... You're looking out for an overall aim, which is to do with this this house that you're basically looking after, House mm. Forester, I think. And all of the characters you play are from House Forester. Yeah, yeah. Like all of the characters, well, in the first episode at least, are all of House Forester, and but they're in different locations. Um, and it's just this thing of having to kind of look out for a, a greater good, but also often you kind of get the sense that that you might be putting yourself personally, that character, at risk by doing that. Mm. But it means it's more of a less of an introspective. It's less about thing. ethics and more about trying to solve this big. Puzzle. Well, I don't want to say puzzle, but it's making the right decision. It's basically this sense that you are really on the back foot, and it's it's very intense. And I mean, it's, it is the classic, as I say, it is the same trick. And it is the there is a question every time I play something like this. I think, how many times can Telltale get away with this trick before it's just like, nah, it doesn't work anymore? 
Like, Which trick are you talking about? Well, the trick of the fact that the decisions you'd make don't just actually don't do really much. Make they, I mean, apparently, like I think I haven't seen it myself, but apparently, like things do fan out a little bit more in this, but they still resolve themselves in pretty much the same way. Yeah, it's like you end up with different flavors of outcomes, but the outcomes are all the same. Which was, I mean, that was still my gripe with Mass Effect, even back in the day. Like, yeah, yeah. With Mass Effect's many questions still not. I think it's the only way you can you can have a solid, really tight narrative without tons of budget. Like to have a properly sprawling, forking off multiple choice thing, you just need so much more money. Yeah. And I think I get the impression that, you know, well, clearly Telltale stuff is made in a bit of a budget by the fact that it's like, <laughs> it's always a bit wonky and it's always full of bugs and stuff. Um, but I think, yeah, so it's not really an ethical thing, but it means it's more of a role-playing experience, uh, which means it's, it's less about you as a player, less about you, but more about you trying to get into the mindset of these characters. And the reason that's so fucking cool is because of the fact that you are then having to deal with characters from Game of Thrones. Um, and it's actually, I was worried about that. It was a bit I thought, oh, is that going to work? Because I didn't want it to be like, oh, hello, I'm Queen Cersei. I'm very mean. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> uh, I was kind of expecting it to be this sort of cameo carousel. Um, oh, I see. Uh, but actually, they're integral. And it kind of, as I say in the, the video I made today, it's like, um, it's the fact that at first I was like, yeah, but what's the point in having them there? Because they're like, you can't, do anything with them. You know, they're like immovable. Yeah. They're invincible characters because they're locked into the law. But it doesn't matter because the the positions you're given within the game, the, the positions of your p people that you're controlling, they're so weak and powerless that it's like you couldn't have any impact on these people anyway. Like, you're a nobody. And it's just nice that it puts you in a position of basically... And this is, this is the thing that it does share with The Walking Dead and does work, is the fact that it creates a real sense of futility and so when it turns out that, yeah, your decisions haven't really made a massive impact on the way things have panned out, that doesn't strike me as being frustrating. Yeah, that's Just nice. because it's like, you're kind of fucked, like, right <laughs> from the start. It's like, if you know anything about Game of Thrones, then it starts um, It starts after a certain wedding, and the, the, event, the events that follow basically suddenly put you in a position where, as a northern family, as a traditional northern house, you're now in a terrible position. And it turns out that some people who support the throne want your land and your stuff and they've got an army and you don't well I mean like you're just fucked like it, you are just fucked it sounds nice because if you are a fan of Game of Thrones then you can see characters and situations you like from a different perspective yeah and I mean it's it's that and it's also the fact that it, it plays with what you know in the fact that um, there's, a, there's a point at which like you have to deal with a terrifying character and it's this this duality in your head of like you knowing about that character from having followed the show or read the books and being like I know about this character but then also having to try and work out what the best decision to make from the perspective of the character in the game is and yeah. being like I don't want to do this but I think it's the best thing to do like for this character even though you're like this might be a terrible idea but you kind of it's that difficult thing of, of having to bend the knee that like it's when you're reading the books you get frustrated with the characters sometimes but it's like when you're in this situation, you, you have like these horrible people and you just have to like, you think, well, maybe I just have to just do what they say. Like, and not, you, you know, you want to be a hero, but you often aren't like, <laughs> because you think I might get killed or worse. Like, and it's just interesting. It's, it's, um, it very much makes you feel like you are a player in the Game of Thrones uh, with all of the tension that comes with that. Except you're you're a player who's doing really badly. <laughs> it's not like you're a Tyrion or a Cersei or whatever. You're like somebody at the bottom end of the scale who's like one move off of just being knocked off the table. God, Dragon Age Inquisition also came out this month. I still haven't it? played it. I haven't played it, but it's yeah. I mean, I came it, really close to buying Dragon Age Two the other day. Don't do that. Why, know, well, why would you do that? I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I I've missed my chance to be relevant and talk about Dragon Age Inquisition. So I'm like, well, if you're gonna. Might as well just play Dragon Age 2. What, and do a cool retrospective and be alt? I don't know. I just, I just sort I of, I've, I've heard miserable things. And I've heard such a mixed amount of things about Dragon Age 2 that I'm intensely, increasingly intrigued because I've got people who say it's one of the worst games they've ever played. I've got people who say it has bad aspects but it has some of the best characterization um, and best like character-driven stuff. You know, a funny and thing about, about Inquisition that I'm hearing is the thing that everybody is talking about is how good the... Uh, the throne, or like when you are sitting on the throne and judging people, which I've extrapolated, at some point in the game you become an important deal and then have to make 
decisions. A lot like um, Daenerys. Anna Fable, Anna Fable 3? Yep, Anna Fable 3. And like Daenerys does in uh, Game of Thrones. She sits on the throne and she makes calls. And everyone's saying how good that is. And it still reminds me of how like the best moments in the Mass Effect series were making those decisions. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, hope. I hope, this is me hoping against hope that Bioware might realise those are the bits that everybody likes the most and that everything else... We could probably reduce it in size or leave it. And then we could just have... It's interesting. I haven't played Inquisition yet, but from the moments I've heard about it, I get the impression that a lot of the kind of... It's been described as more MMO-y style stuff of wide open areas and mm. little quests. I kind of figured they're trying to tap into the the like Skyrim market a bit, really. Oh, that would make sense. Um, you know, it's a Christmas game. They might try and be pitching it, positioning it as that, as being like an open world, relaxing sort of thing you can just kick back and play and mindlessly do stuff in a nice, pretty setting. That would be nice. Because I think that the problem that Bioware have had with both Mass Effect and Dragon Age is the fact that the, the, both, the first games were both pretty amazing, but neither of them sold very well. And ever since, they've just been like trying to solve the puzzle of just trying to how, how can we recoup the money on <laughs> yeah. these things and make money with them. Uh, and it's resulted in, in both of the series just changing quite dramatically as they went along. Mm. Mass Effect less so. Um, it just sort of ended up having a a much heavier slant on action. Yeah. But fuck it, the guns in Mass Effect 3 felt amazing. They definitely popped. (laughs) It was so nice. Just really weighty force fields, big chunky things, things bouncing off other things. It was beautiful. The discus grenades that you throw in your character has a... The fact that the multiplayer in that, to me, felt like such a kind of like, who gives a fuck? It felt like the last of that, you know. Do you remember not that long ago when every shooter or anything with guns had a multiplayer component? Yeah. And 90% of them would never be touched and the servers and despite would be empty with loads weeks. of them having really clever stuff. Yeah. I still will talk anyone's ear off who'll listen about Kane Lynch 2's. I think it might have been in the first game as well, but the Fragile Alliance multiplayer Yeah, about just being able to shoot someone in the back at any point. Well, yeah, but you couldn't, though, because it was, uh, yeah, you it was sort of co-op thing with, like, five or six of you all doing a bank heist together. There were loads of different levels. Maybe you're robbing a van. And uh, the, your score is how much money you escape with, which is fine and all, but, you know, what if someone's carrying more money than you? So you probably shoot them in the back and kill them. Except enemies are spawning in massive quantities. So if you just kill all your friends, nobody gets out the level alive. So there's... Waiting for the right moment. You wait for the right moment, which ideally is, you know, sort of just in the final minute of the game, except probably everyone knows that, so they're just going to sprint off as soon as they see a way to leave the level. Can't help but wonder if that might be something that gets a bit implemented in the GTA V's online heists. Maybe. Which are apparently coming soon. Yeah. I can't believe it's taken them that long. I, it's Rockstar time. They, but they were like, oh yeah, it'll be out. Yeah, well, the high stuff that we talked about and sold the game, that'll be out soon. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, and I guess they're doing it to coincide with the relaunch on next generation consoles. I guess so, but it's like, you could have given people a heads up. Mind you, it was my fault. I mean, it was so obvious they were going to re-release it on next gen. Yeah, oh, um, but you know what? I never finished it. I got probably about 60-70% of the way through the storyline. I'm not going to play through all that junk again. That's, to- that's the thing. It's like if they actually just released it and said, oh, here's a tool so you can like... Especially because they've got the Rockstar Social Club. It's got like so much of your stats and stuff logged. If they could just literally yeah. log like which of the mini missions... Like if it could just basically upload your save game to that and then download it to any console, yep. I would buy the PS4 version. The problem is I played it on the Xbox 360 and now I've got a PS4. You sort of think like... Companies are throwing away money by not doing that. It still reminds me of that. Uh, it seems like a non sequitur, but isn't. Um, the conversation I had with um, uh, Jonathan Smith, the creative, used to be creative director of all the Lego games, and uh, it talked about how kids just love cheating and like kids love level skip and the kids love invincibility and so of course it's in the game. Everyone loves it. And you don't have to use it if you don't want it. And God, I would love to have that in GTA, you know? Yeah. Letting us skip to any point in levels, but instead we're in an era where I can't even skip the cutscene of a Destiny level, which I've played 20 times. Oh, I mean, that's just insane. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's, I, it's amazing how many patches they've had and they still they still don't have a thing, especially when it's like Daily Mission. It's like, oh, I've got to watch a cutscene in the middle of this again. Like, why? <laughs> why? Although I've actually got so efficient at playing Destiny that... As one of the cutscenes is before you go through this big gateway and have to fight an ogre. Yeah. And I, I just like got to it so quickly that I'd already like got into the room and killed all of the enemies in the room before the cutscene could load. Because <laughs> I just like blasted through it and it was like, wait, 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 and then like teleports me <laughs> like back by about three hundred meters oh, to man. a location I was at. And it's like, well, you're doing this. I thought it, 
I was like, what? There's so much of this, like, you know, there's that term player versus environment, which is what a lot of people are doing in Destiny, but the environment, more often than not, is how they've designed the game versus, like, you know, the actual obstacles they've put in. I remember I was doing a daily story mission with a friend of mine. He was like, he was online and he was like, yeah, you can come on. And we jumped on halfway through the mission and I was confused because how come we're halfway through the story mission? It's because he checkpointed it. Mm. And this is, I wasn't even aware of this practice, but you checkpoint very close to the end of the story mission and you complete it. And then before the level actually ejects you after completing, because there's that 20 second gap, yeah. you just go into orbit. So you never technically complete the mission. So your checkpoint never gets reset. Really? So, yeah. I'm surprised you don't know about this. No, yeah, I don't know about it's that. It's the case with the uh, story mission. You just checkpoint it towards the end. You do it and jump out and you get the bounty complete, story mission completes. But uh, Mad. Yeah. It is funny how, yeah, just little ways to break the systems. I knew about the jumping out from orbit because, fuck, because a lot of the missions, <laughs> the reason I worked that one out is because some of the missions you have to watch cutscene afterwards. And if you go like, quick, quick, cancel, cancel, <laughs> then you don't have to watch the cutscene. It's just mental though. Why can't you not? Why have they not put in a thing saying like skip them? It's like I've seen these cutscenes like twenty times. Yeah. It's now like my official. I'm going for a cup of tea moment. It's like <laughs> ah. I, I mean, uh, I, I, I will like I briefly talk about the dark below actually, just because I haven't actually played the raid yet. No. For the new Destiny, but it is very difficult. I've always been quite a staunch defender of a lot of the stuff in Destiny, even though a lot of the stuff pisses me off. Mainly because of the fact that I still and I still believe that the foundation of the game is so bloody good. Oh, even it's astonishing! I, the guns just like popping. The the fact that every enemy in the game has a unique, beautiful animation for if you kill it with a precision kill, which I am still not bored of looking at. Yeah, I, and I've killed. I don't know how many things I've killed, but it's probably close to about thirty thousand things. <laughs> it's a ridiculous amount. Yeah. And Do you have I, a favourite precision kill, Def? Uh, I really like shooting the heads off Cabal and all the air in their suits shoots out in yeah. a massive jet stream. Yeah, they're I good. Like I like classic dregs. Oh yeah, what they, good. They just the head comes off and then they it's kind like of some sort of sparks or something. I don't and know. Then they like, kind of have an electrocute moment. It's yeah, good. there's there's lots of good. I I like I like Classic shooting. Uh, the, I like shooting everything. I like shooting everything, <laughs> and that's why it's so good. It's it's funny. It's the sort of game where I'm sitting there playing it, getting like, oh, this is really annoying me about this. But then like I've just then I find myself smiling because I've just killed some things in a way which I've probably killed them in hundreds of times before. But that it just felt yep. really nice. Um, but what frustrates me is because of the fact that. I've always felt like the foundations are really strong, but it's just a case of Bungie realising that they're making bad mistakes and starting to steer it in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But at every step, they keep making really bad, irreversible mistakes to the point at which it's just like, I don't, I don't understand the logic. At first, I understood it. It felt like they designed the game to be a little bit more casual, um, a little bit more like open. So lots of people who are playing it have never played MMOs before. They've never played like Diablo games before sometimes. And it's like a, trying to make it enticing for people as a new thing for people who've just played shooters yeah and they've done that well but now it's like the problem is they, they're trying to continue to treat it like that as if it's something that people just pop on for half an hour like two or three times a week when there are people lots of people like me who've put in like multiple hundreds of hours and they're just not they're not they're kind of actually making the game in a way which punishes people for putting more time into it you mean like just because they the, the content is always there if you want it. You can always play the same mission and try and get that smaller chance of an exotic. But, the yeah, the content's there, but it's really hard to squeak it out. It's just the fact that, like, they, they did a thing recently with the update where basically all of the... If you had exotic gear, then suddenly mm. it was like they upgraded it. So, oh, actually, a lot of the gear that you got before, if you find it now, is of a higher level. Yep. But if you've got the old stuff, it stays at the level it was unless you spend lots of money to upgrade it. And it's like, there's there's no benefit if you've already upgraded things. I'm in the which is just mad. It's like, if you've spent like 10, 15 hours fully upgrading an exotic pistol and then somebody else has just got one, like you don't get anything for that. Like, <laughs> and it would have been so easy to implement just this, a mild bonus for being like, oh, hey, you've... Uh, and the same thing, it's the same thing with um, the way that the, the whole system works with the... Upgrades of like the Vanguard levels, and basically a lot of the game, for, if you don't know, is to do with reputation. And in the early um, elements of the game, like when the end game first starts, it's like you basically got to earn reputation, which levels up ranks within these kind of different um, like groups. And you do that by doing quests or whatever, doing specific things. And then once you got to level three, you could buy armor. And then, yeah, you, you buy all your armor. And then you look slightly nicer. Yeah, which originally, as an endgame thing, was a little bit weak, but it was all right. But then the problem is, we got to level three, and then you get to level four, and then you get to level five, and you get to level six, and you just keep leveling it up because you just, you're just still earning this stuff, 
and you don't need it. And it's like, I've got like level nine or level 10 Vanguard now, I think. And the problem with this is, is it meant that at some point, Bungie had to work out what the future was going to be in terms of like how the progress in the game works. And they'd set it up originally as being like, oh, if you get to level three, you get this, you get to level four, you get this. But now there's such a huge disparity between players, I imagine, of some people who've maybe just got level three Vanguard, but people like me who've got level nine, probably people who've got level 20, that they can't then be like, oh, well, we'll make it so that when you're level 10 Vanguard, you can unlock this stuff. Because there'll be some people who are like, what, I did that ages ago, whatever. And there'll be some people who are like, I'm never going to be able to do that. And so what they started to do is be like, oh, well, every time you level up, you'll get an item which is useful. But then it's like, but I've already done it 15 times and, and it doesn't give you anything retrospectively. Yep. It just feels like they've fenced themselves into this corner of um, the only way they can do it, basically, is that because they didn't have any concrete plan originally set up in terms of having this long tail of progress, now they just have to do it on a kind of like uh, on-the-fly basis of being like, oh, if you get this stuff done this week, then you get this. And it's just, it's a massive kick in the teeth for anyone who's just been, like, playing it for ages. You know, my favourite thing about The Dark Below is that I fell out of love with Destiny. All my friends would, you know, just posting photos of their ridiculous thorned barb glowing shoe that they got <laughs> that day. And now I've, I've, with The Dark Below's come out, I've, I've gone on and I've got my armour and I've got my weapons. And now I am at exactly the same level as all of my friends, despite being about 100 hours shy of where Oh, they yeah, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> like, it's really difficult. And I think on paper, what they were doing made a lot of sense because I guess the way they worked it out was that you look at something like World of Warcraft, right, where every year, maybe, they'll have an expansion which will... Massively increase the level cap. Like, increase cap. the level cap by 10. But in, so they, what they've done is they've gone... It seems to have been like, instead of going, oh, well, every year we'll upgrade the level cap by 10, they'll go, well, we'll do that, but we'll do it in increments. So every two months, we'll increase the level cap by two. You know? Mm -hmm. And that makes sense on paper, but the problem is that the actual... The, the path... The, the amount of time and the amount of effort it takes you to get those two levels, it may as well be 10 levels. Mm -hmm. It may as well be 15 levels. Because it's incredibly hard to make that step up by two levels. And you put in hundreds of hours to get there, only to find that at the point at which you've <laughs> just achieved it, they press a button. And stuff that took you hundreds of hours will now take you two or three. There is something weird happening in the games industry right now, I think. Something strange whereby I remember, like, for my whole life, it's been talking about, you know, a game that comes out, like, every month or the new shooter or the new action game that's come out every month. Yeah. But for, like, pretty much well, almost half of Daft Souls' life, it's been discussing just evolutions of Destiny and how it's kind of changed <laughs> and... How it's it's just so odd that like games are so expensive to make now that we get we've got this one and it's where all like Activision has put all of its money and it's the one that we're talking. The thing about. is, if it wasn't so fucking good, I wouldn't be playing it. And that's basically the thing is there are, there are so many things about it now that frustrate me, and I'm increasingly losing faith that Bungie know what they're doing with it. I'm looking forward to the sequel, which I basically think they're going to basically instead of having expansion and doing it that old school way, which is probably a bit confusing for most consumers, they'll just release Destiny 2, which you'll be able to carry over all your stuff to, and it will be like the expansion. I think that's the way they're going to do it. They're basically going to like do a weird bastardization of old school retail and modern. And that's why I think they're doing it at the moment is because actually if you work out the expansions and DLC, it roughly comes up as six quid a, a month. So yeah. it's basically like, this is an MMO like with a subscription. They've just packaged it They've differently just hidden it. but I get yeah I get frustrated but then I find a new gun and I shoot something in the head with it and I go hot oh, damn that feels fucking great you and know? then I sit and I talk bollocks with people <laughs> and I shoot aliens in the head again and again and again and again and again again I remember when I got tired of World of Warcraft and I left there was a the, the world had enough flex in it that me and my friend could do something a bit romantic because we gotten really into the weapon crafting like, we weren't high level we were like level 26 I don't know yeah and uh we were really excited about because he made a scroll that I could craft, and I crafted this thing called a Moonblade, and it was not even a very good weapon. Like, and so no one else was using it. Um, there was no point even crafting it. But I tell you what, the texture on it was bizarre because at night it was really shiny. So you'd have high level players going, well, "What's that?" It's like it's my bad sword that's really shiny. <laughs> but so we made each of these two handed swords, and we went up to a cliff. And we went, like, there was a waterfall, and there was a moon in the distance, and we both did some emote where we where we lowered the swords to each other, and we're like, done. And we both logged off at that moment, and that was our epitaph, of, like, <laughs> dipping our swords in the moon. And I think if Destiny allowed me to do something, if it let me work towards my own goal and have some romantic thing, an ending, then I might have stopped playing it by now. But it's not. It's just this perfectly smooth thing of... 
Every time I turn it on, a number goes up and maybe I get a new gun. It is just weird. It's like just... It's, I think that the problem is that they've gone so far down the rabbit hole now of, of the design choices they made that it's kind of irreversible. I think that the way we'll see it change will be with the sequel uh, whenever it comes out. And it is, but it's like, it reminds me of Diablo 3 in the way that it's just like, it's still a good, I mean, Diablo 3 when it came out, it's still a good, fun game. It's just it had lots of problems which made it ultimately something which you kind of walked away from with a real sense of frustration. <laughs> uh, whereas I feel like Destiny's going to be exactly the same. And I feel like it, I feel like it's going to be actually quite easy to fix. It just requires a reboot. In the same way that Diablo required a reboot. In the same way that it basically took somebody to look at it and go, this isn't fun. We need to just literally just go go back to the, like, wh- why, why isn't this fun? Let's fix it. Um, because they've got like an amazing engine, an amazing shooting system. It's just that all of the mechanics that they've used to like bind it together and create a sense of longevity are just very poor. And I think it's really, I'm, I'm hoping that the studio are really in a, a place of hubris right now because it feels like they've just blundered into this. Maybe they've hired a few people from Blizzard or whatever to like help out, but it just feels like really they did not do their research because they're in, they're, it's a genre which is extremely like well fleshed out. Um, and they just had, didn't know what they were doing. And it's a, it's a shame because it's like, it, it means I'm currently torn. And the, the sad thing is, is I know how it's going to end. It's going to end in exactly the same way that my relationship with World of Warcraft ended. Because I quit World of Warcraft before they fixed loads of stuff and before they started adding more five-man raid stuff. Um, when the end game was just pure raiding. And it was this thing of like, I put hundreds of hours into it. And then when I finished, it was just one day I snapped. And I suddenly just resented all of the time I'd spent. And I just walked away from it. Oh, God, it do you think that's going to happen to us? Do you think we're going to rubber band back and just loathe? I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I should stop now, man. I, I know I should stop now as well, but I, I can't. I love it too much. But I know that one day, unless they can sort their shit out, and I still hold a hope that they can, because most often with this kind of game, the relationship is different in the fact that you enjoy elements of it and you enjoy the ideas, but the core of it is a bit crap. That's probably most MMOs. Where the core of this is brilliant, it's just the stuff around it is shit. You know what I don't regret is all the... Because I must have put a comparable amount of time into um, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. But you know what Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate for me, like what I came away from it with was like stories that either just like heroic things that I did that I remember that still make me smile and... You know, whether it was like the one time I went off to fight a bear and it's all normal and I'm going through this undergrowth and it was a king bear. And I didn't even know Monster Hunter does this, but like every so often you're fighting a boss and it's like, oh, but this is a king variant. And it it happens entirely at random and the monster is huge, like it's bigger than normal and it's harder than normal. And I was like, oh my God, because it was my first opportunity to even kill one. And it was the scariest hour long fight of my life. I have stories like remembering like me and Kaza McDonald also like on Darth Souls now, uh, now Kotaku UK. You know, like standing up and screaming when we finally did something. That's like what I took away from Monster Hunter. And I guess every day that I play Destiny, that I still enjoy it, but don't get those memories out. I guess, yeah, you're right. It's like yeah. this growing bubble of resentment. I have little moments, and I do have some memories, but the memories are all very social. Like memories of like everyone standing on the fan and jumping up and down, or like yeah. one of us crouching around the random android who was AFK in the tower and making it look like we were all trying to suck him off, <laughs> just knowing that he came back and went... What the hell? And I do have nice moments on, a, on like a day-to-day basis. Like there was a bit the other day where um, a dude like killed one of the big hive dudes with a sword. And there's yeah. a bounty you can get where you've got to get kills with a sword. And I didn't have it. I didn't have that bounty. But he obviously didn't either because he killed it and he ran out of this cave holding the sword. And then he saw me and he dropped the sword on the floor as a sort of gesture of being like, oh, I don't need this, but you might need it. So, And I have had so many nice experiences with strangers without the talking. Yeah. I, just, I also like the fact that if you go AFK in Destiny, right, it happens like it, it always happens. You're just at some point, you're like controllable shake and it's just like another character in the world has just come up to you and punched you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> just being like, are you there? Like, and then run off. Uh, it's like it all this stuff happens in spite of the design though. Like, it's I know, all, But I, I, I still remember like back when EverQuest first came out and the story that made my friend fall in love with it were like... Um, and this was back when we didn't even know what MMOs were going to become, and they hadn't become this greased shoot of where you can sit in it and you just get catapulted towards like bigger and bigger numbers. Uh, and that shoot is very greasy and very polished. I don't even know what they make it of these I think, days. I mean, I, I've talked about this in the past, but I think it's, it's the, the beauty of MMOs to begin with for me was not being able to see the shoot. It just yeah. felt like exploration yeah. and yeah. stuff. Exactly. And so this EverQuest story that my friend tells of like he goes into a village and he was playing a dwarf, and this huge giant comes up to him. And this is like, you know, this is the 90s. It's, it's amazing to think that 
that this was how MMOs began because we've so lost our way from this. But an, a giant, this huge player, comes up to him and like types because it's the 90s and the messages slowly pop up and say, Hello, I can't go into that shop there because I'm too big. <laughs> can If I give you gold, can you go in and buy a thing for me? And it's like, it's a regular human-sized house or like a dwarf house or something. And, and, and my friend Landon's character is like, yeah, and he takes the money. He goes into the house and buys a thing and gives it back it's to the a giant. Beautiful fancy version of a teenager trying to get someone to buy them boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you know, and that is what people envisioned. You know, like coming out of like muds from the '90s and how these things were so social and just all that social stuff is kind of like, I guess partially because it's a console game and like you know that relatively safe text interaction has been replaced with voice, which is better for friends but worse for worse meeting for strangers. Yeah. yeah, and so by its nature, Destiny has actually become like. Yeah, it's funny. Even though they've added the opportunity now to switch on voice chat with strangers in Destiny, yeah, I haven't had the balls to do it um, <laughs> purely because I think it would break my heart. <laughs> Just because yeah. in my head, like everyone's quite nice <laughs> and I don't want to talk to anyone because I'm just like they might not be well and also then... there's part of like you know all the marketing materials for Destiny it's always and all the copywriting you know you're these weird dudes in suits and you're all a bit abstract and I think if that got replaced by a dude from like Scunthorpe being like don't fucking kill him because I've got a bad it's like yeah, yeah. oh no everything has collapsed yeah no I, I like I like the silent power of these people uh <laughs> But anyway, I'll stop talking about that now because I know that some people just just already aren't interested in it. And I get it. It's like it's tough because there are people on the outside just being like, a lot of people just weren't grabbed by it at all, and they just played it for about a few hours and just went, "This is shit. I don't like yeah. it." Yeah. And it's like fair enough. But um, man, I, I love them guns. Those guns. Shoot people in the face. I, I, I'm okay with like, if I'm gonna play shooting games, I'm okay with there being one and it being the best and it evolving continually. I'll tell you what they're gonna do, a really easy way to fix it, right, in its current state, which would, I mean, like, I still think. <laughs> we were so close to escaping the. I'll just know this is just take two seconds. <laughs> the really easy way to fix it will just be to, like, just mix it up. Just make it so, like, you have, like, a new variant, like, instead of heroic, like, which is, like, the difficult, just make a new difficulty level which randomizes it. So it's just like, oh, here's this mission. You don't know what you're going to have to deal with. You might have to just deal with like random bosses in the middle of it or just random enemies. And just instead of playing the same missions again and again, just fucking go crazy and be like, oh, yeah, you walk into a room and it's like it's full of knights. Ah, like, you know, just, just, just do some mad shit. Just do the option to like, just do mad shit. Because uh, yeah. that's what Diablo does. You know, it's like you do a dungeon, but then, oh, you've been through this dungeon 20 times. But this time instead of spiders, it's full of bloody... Ghouls! Shit! And there's a big ghoul that's on fire and he's running around at an alarming rate. This is the best day. I know, precisely. And it's like, they just need to do that. It's fucking... It's probably... The problem is, is because Bungie struck me as being a studio who are very much like, no, everything has to be perfect. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but no. <laughs> <laughs> just make it less perfect and a bit more mental. Anyway, um, one thing I have been playing apart from Destiny, because uh, I have been trying to play other things, it's funny, you were talking about uh, Monster Hunter, actually. I'm going to hopefully play that soon, because I have got it on the Wii U. Wait, four Ultimate. Wait for five, man. Five's almost I've here. got three. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, four. <laughs> four is about to come out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't need to go back. Well, I guess you could play it. It's well, I've fun. already played. I could wait. I'll wait for four. If you wait for four, then you can actually do the thing I've been telling you to do forever, which is you can play it with friends and hunt monsters with friends. Is what, what, what console is that going to be on? Uh, it's going to be on 3DS, and also they've announced a Wii U version, which is coming later. But you can play on three. But the character is always transferable. Easy. Fair then, enough. Except of the cool thing, like sometimes, because it's Nintendo, rather than like your character being stored in the cloud or anything, your character's on one of the devices and you have to transfer it by a cable. It takes about 15 minutes and there's a little picture of an animated pig dragging on the screen. But sometimes pig doesn't make it. And sometimes, and there's a very small chance of this, but your character will be lost in the cable forever <laughs> and will not survive this transition. God, I hope that they fix that. <laughs> I think it's like one in a... One in 10,000 chance, but still, still, there's that moment of terror. That's like getting nulled in uh, Fantasy Star Online. Do you remember that? Null? No. There was a big hacking scene back in Fantasy Star Online back in the day, and it was kind of terrifying. It was when it was on the Dreamcast, and uh, it, for me, the, the first sort of experience I had with hacking in games, um, and the fact that you start to hear, hear murmurs that people were hackers, and sometimes it was fucking obvious, because you walk in and somebody would just start dropping like like super legendary items everywhere. Like they'd just be like just dropping all of these and being like, hey, have this stuff. And like just dropping super rare things like candy and being like, take it, take it. And it was like <laughs> And it was the thing of like as soon as you saw that, you just had to quit the game. You had to be like, get out. 
get out. Because A, having one of these items on your <laughs> this character. This is amazing. This if is you like... have one of those items on your character, basically it was to do, it was like, um, it was the equivalent of having. It's, well, it sounds like the equivalent of having a kid in your school who's dealing drugs and you know that like any interactions with them at all could sour like your own record. Yeah, and it, it was basically the way that it worked with the hacking was it was kind of like, uh, like, like holding open a door in a tomb, like Indiana Jones style, you know, holding open a, a tomb door that was closing with like a stick. And like, for as long as that stick was there, you were fine. But then it'd be this thing of like, you take this amazing weapon and you'd use it in their game, in their like lobby, and use it in their like thing. And then you'd be like, ah, and you'd leave, and then you'd start your your own lobby, and immediately it would be like, bump off. Like it would just be like, you've got illegal items, and you you'd be in trouble for that. Like I can't remember what happened. It might just be was that it in game? Was there like a robot who'd come up and be like, no, you, sir, I, can't, have been hacking. I can't remember what happened. But basically, it would just be like, you're not allowed that. So it'd be if you had hacked items and you weren't a hacker, then you could only ever use those items if you were offline. Otherwise, it'd be like if you went online with them because you didn't have the like the stick. This is sexy. This is like contraband. It was, MMO. but you could never like it was wasn't worth it. And also, it was the fact it was the knowledge that you could be nulled because there was a character called Noll, N O L, who was who exists in the lobby. I think she was like just she was just an NPC who wore blue, and your character getting nulled was basically. If you were in a game with a hacker, they could null you. Where I think you get a blue screen, and then you'd have to restart your your, your computer, you restart your console, and then when you load the game up again and you like go online, instead of your character, you'd now your character would now be called Null, and you would be level one and trapped at level one. And it would basically <coughs> nulling was basically I don't know, basically replace your character with wow. an NPC. And I can't remember if the model changed or if it was just the name, but I think it was just. It basically made your character useless. That it was just like it was the equivalent of basically somebody getting nulled. Basically meant getting a character deleted, and some of these characters like you'd spent like hundreds of hours on, and PSO, and so it was. It wasn't worth the risk if somebody appeared and started dropping goodies. You got the fuck out of there, man. It reminds <laughs> me of um that yeah the, could be a honey trap. <laughs> the Operation Flashpoint, uh, you know the soldier, the old soldier sim by Bohemia Interactive. But um, if you were playing with a cracked version. It would, it just wouldn't, and the, but the copy protection picked up on it. It wouldn't tell you, but then you know you'd get in, you'd enter the world of this soldier game where you're a soldier with a gun. And instead, you'd just be playing a seagull, and you would just like fly around the world as one of the seagulls, which is actually the camera in multiplayer. If you got killed, you'd play a seagull and just so you'd have if you had a, like sixteen player multiplayer and everyone died with one person, you'd have fifteen seagulls flying overhead That's watching you. But yeah, it's just like we're onto you, and you're a seagull, which I always liked. The null thing sounds more like an incredibly quick fix that they'd made. It was just quite terrifying. It's spooky. I do love these horror stories in video games, though. You know, like this or the Pokemon, like, death cartridge or whatever it is. Yeah, it was just weird. And there was just this weird kind of distrust you had. I mean, that was such a weird time. If someone came up to you in Destiny and was like, Matt, this isn't even like a purple or a, or a yellow gun. This is a, this is a turquoise gun. Do you want it? If it had a name like the badass gun well I think it's that's why it's smart that they haven't allowed any form of like trading at all in Destiny because it's like if they allowed any form of trading then they'd have to have an economy and if you have to have an economy then it's just like if they they, they, if they had trading without an economy without a world economy it would just result in a black market which would result in hacking you haven't answered my question though if you just went online if you went online let's say you were patrolling and someone just comes over a hill and says well how would they say it they can't talk to people that's what I like about it what if he's just there and he makes like a pointing emote and but next to him is a white engram no wait they're shit no yeah they don't exist yeah a white engram you've never seen it before he just points at it do you yeah, pick it up? Pick it up, yeah, because it's probably, yeah, it's fine. Oh, it's a really, ah, oh, mm, okay. These are different times, Quince. You can't hack a whole <laughs> server like that. That would be insane. I'm just thinking. I'm These just daydreaming. This is daydreaming. If about. I was writing a novel about Destiny, that would happen in it, and it would be like. <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm doing, I'm doing anything I can to make Destiny, like, seem like. Uh, like the colourful, you know, the resentment bubble. I'm trying to burst it. Oh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But yeah, PSO was crazy for that though, because it was just this like um, there was no, there was communication, but it was all typed. And if you had a Dreamcast keyboard, which was basically just like a computer keyboard but yeah. with a Dreamcast cable, uh, which I did have, um, then you could talk a lot more quickly. Otherwise, you had to just sit and type out stuff. And sometimes you have to wait like minutes for people to reply because they were doing it on a gamepad. Um, but it meant that often you would play with strangers and it w- there was a real sense of like you didn't trust people because um, <laughs> this sounds like the worst world but you couldn't trust people because the thing was 
there, there was no <laughs> trading system in that game. It meant if you wanted to trade with people, the way you did it was by dropping things on the floor. And then uh, it meant that you could be trading items with a friend and some other dude who was in the game could just quickly run past and pick it up and then leave. And that was it. It was gone. There was no insurance. It was like, just that weapon is now gone. That's fantastic. Um, and the, this is the thing that's mental. And this is why, um, for a long time, I, I distrusted most French people on the internet. Uh, <laughs> which, is, which is sadly not, not... I'm not making this up. Um, I'm not making up the racism, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Um, during the last boss fight, I dropped. A, I had a weapon called a Lavis Cannon. It was a very good sword. It was a sword that had an ability to do a ranged attack. It looked really cool. But when you died in PSO, if you got killed, uh, you drop all of your money that you had on you and your primary weapon that you were holding. Right. Which, if you're playing with friends, wasn't a problem because they just wouldn't pick up your primary weapon. Or if they did pick it up back, and they'd give it back to you. But we were playing against the final boss, and then afterwards, after I died, I got brought back to life, but I couldn't find my weapon. And... The only other person in the group was a French dude who had stolen my sword. And that and soured left. your concept of the entire nation. Of I was France. a child, Quinn. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. I didn't understand the world. Oh, man, the coolest thing in World of War. But Wolf. no, I, it's just because everybody I knew seemed to have a story of some French person stealing oh, something really? from the PSO. This is like Russians being creepy Dota players. I think it was, it was, I'm not sure how true it was, but at the time it seemed to be a bit of a stereotype within my group of friends anyway. Everyone had a bad experience with a French player stealing something from the PSO. So in the. Uh, <laughs> The best thing that was in World of Warcraft, and again, this is one of those things that got removed as like, it was one of the most exciting things about the MMO, and then it just went away, which was Booty Bay, which was the sort oh, of yeah, yeah, piratical yeah. theme. It's like, like, uh, like completely, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, that kind of got removed. Yeah, it did. So it? it used to be a crossover area where the Horde and Alliance could hang out, but it wasn't like a battleground. And uh, Man, my memory of World of Warcraft is so sh like shonky. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like a fixed area where you were at war. It was just kind of a town. And so, you know, you could go and talk to vendors and stuff. And this was this got patched out within easily the first four months of the game's lifespan, I think. But uh, Horde and Alliance people could just walk around. And there wasn't... Oh, that was it. <clears throat> it worked because there wasn't any benefit to killing... If you're a Horde, you know, killing a human doesn't actually help you. So you could walk around and you could initiate combat. But if you yeah. won, it didn't do anything. And so... And also, you couldn't communicate by chat because in World it came of Warcraft, up in a different language, it comes up in the garbled version of like a gnomish or human or horde. So you couldn't communicate. So it was just this amazing wild west frontier. Where I'd be like, where me and my friend would be in a bar, and you know, sat at a table, and you're talking, and we're both horde. And then a human comes in, and we just fall silent, and we look at him. <laughs> Is he gonna murder us? Because maybe he'll be nice. And uh, yeah, and that was really interesting um, because you know sometimes people just wouldn't kill you. And that was great. But then it got patched out. Or like they patched in the honor system. So then just Booty Bay was a was murderous. And then I think it just became alliance only. It's just weird how you ended up like um with the with the system as it was in PSO, this sort of no man's land generally. Yeah. Uh, you ended up behaving like children in terms of how you <laughs> how you dealt with the, that problem of being like in a way that like if you wanted to tell if Johnny wanted to tell Timmy a secret, what would he do? He'd he'd take they'd go they'd go and they'd run away and they'd hide behind a tree. And then the other child would run around and go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Nothing. And so it would be this thing but of it's like... A, it's a, use speech bubbles or what? You'd be like, you'd say, come on. And it would come up saying, come on, that you typed in. And then you'd like run off with your mate, like round a corner. You quickly drop your items. You quickly pick up the right <laughs> ones. And then the rando would run around the corner again and look at you and be like, oh, you know, he wouldn't know what was going on. But it was that thing of like, quick, we have to get away from him. Like, I have to make some distance just so even if they spot the items and they try and nick them, they're too far away. Like, they can't run they can't and grab them. They can't sprint fast enough no, to yeah. grab your item. I remember in uh, playing the first Planet Side as well when there was... Um, you have these big shielded bubbles where weapons don't work. And for the... Like, I was playing the original Planet Side for like hundreds of hours, but just in one moment, I ended up in that bubble with other players from other factions. Yeah. So, like, these are the people who I've been fighting and murdering for hundreds of hours. And then, like, I see him and I just drop my primary gun of the Terran Republic on the floor and then he dropped his rifle and so I ended up in my locker back in my home base with rifles of all the other factions in the game it's like the Christmas truce of World War One of just exchanging but rather than chocolate we exchanged our weapons it was, it was nice sweet sweet just let me be nice online and I'll be nice destiny that's what I'm saying yeah well we'll see well, something else I've been playing recently though uh, on, again on early access actually it's really impressed me just with how tight it is I mean I think because it's basically a game which is already designed and you've played the original by the sense of it, but Chaos Reborn oh yeah we were going to talk about this well we can let's do it 
I Here mean, we go. Chaos Reborn. Uh, I think I realised Chaos... Uh, Wizard War and the Dragon Fighters, I think is what it's called. <laughs> it wasn't Man, they don't it was called something else. Subtitles like they used to. Um, but yeah, it was. It came out in 1985. So the original game came out the year I was born, which is yep. mental. Um, but it was this thing of I, I started playing it, um, and it's very, very good. Because I backed it on Kickstarter just because, you know, gollop, gollop, gollop. Yes, yeah. done. Backed it, have it, sorted. And then I got a code and thought, yeah, I'll have a look at this. And got to the main menu and thought, oh, bloody hell. Like, it's all bloody walls. It's like, no, you can't do this yet. You can't do this yet. You can't do this yet. Everything you click on is like, <laughs> this bit's not done yet, but it has some text telling you what it will be when it's done. But the, I kind of thought, well, there's nothing here. The game itself is there, though, But that's right? it. The game is there. Like, the multiplayer is there. And it's great. It's so like, how does this work for people at home who aren't aware of Chaos? The Atari game? Spectrum game? Spectrum. I don't Spectrum. Know. I wasn't allowed games consoles at that point, so my I wasn't born at that point. Very fuzzy. Uh, so my memory is even fuzzier because I wasn't. Hey, am I older than you? I wasn't alive. How old are you? Twenty nine. I'm twenty eight. Ah, no, you weren't alive. Am I twenty nine? I don't know how old I am. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, but yeah, so this is it's kind of this grid based wizard combat system. Yeah, I mean it's it's hex based. Oh, oh it used to be grid based now hex based. Okay. Yeah, so it's hex based now. Um, and it's kind of very simple. It's a very fast-paced strategy game. It looks like a card game because you have cards at the bottom of the screen, but it's not. It's very much more a kind of um, like strategy board game. It's a lot like a board game, really, yeah. in the fact that the way it works is you've got your wizard, you can move your wizard around, and you can cast creatures or spells. And then basically the aim of the game is to kill the other wizard. But... Whenever you attack the other wizard, it has a certain percentage chance that you'll just kill them outright, depending on what you're using. So if you're using a really powerful spell, then you might have like a 50% chance to yes. just kill their wizard. This is the thing. You don't have like hit points in this nope. game. No you, hit points. And yeah, so it's just landing a hit. And that is interesting because it, it does result sometimes in some ridiculously quick games. <laughs> I've had some matches where it's like, I move forward two spaces, they move forward two spaces... I move forward and cast a fireball spell at them. They die. Which is fine. I love that. That is how a wizard fight should go. Yeah. And it feels very much more like a board game of being like not having something designed to like necessarily sprawl out into massive long games, but something which can just be over within 10 minutes. It reminds me of, of all things like tennis and how actually that's not a model that games often use, uh, how tennis can be over in one hit or it can have rallies and actually that's not just fine that's exciting because yeah. if it's over quickly it's funny but if it and if it's medium length rally that's fine and nobody cares but if it's a really long rally that's the most exciting shit in the yeah, world I, I had a, I'd match with two two matches in a row with the same guy the first one I killed him in about five minutes and then the second one it went on for about half an hour <laughs> so is it just 1v1 in this no, no, you've got like options to do more, but I've just been doing the one v one. Okay, you've got options for the the classic madness. Of but yeah, famous the original, famously the original chaos, true to its name, would sometimes have eight wizards doing all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, you can still do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean the way it works is that you summon in creatures and you have mana, which you build up just by collecting key points on the map so if you're kind of bold enough you can rush in and get these mana plants that give you more and then you can use mana to bump up the percentages and the way it works is basically if you want to cast a spell which is like a really easy one like if you want to summon a, an eagle then it's like yeah you got an 80% chance of doing that straight off the bat and then it's like you can bump that up to 100% by spending mana but then with other things it's like well you want to cast an ogre you want to bring an ogre in that's quite a powerful unit it'd be like well there's only a 40% chance that that's going to happen but <laughs> this is what I love is this uh, this whole mechanic and it reminds me so much of the Wizard of Earthsea and this idea of like kind of magic in as being like almost constantly not quite what it seems magic and... has become so boring in fantasy it and in video games these days because if you look at magic throughout like the literature of the 80s and 60s and 70s it's the weirdest most fascinating shit yeah and now it's just like fire you yeah. did fire or lightning yeah. or maybe ice uh, whereas like it's got this amazing thing of basically you can choose to cast an illusion so if you want to definitely cast an eagle, instead of taking the chance on the 80%, you can have a 100% chance. And it's always 100% to cast an illusion version. But it's not like pissy illusions in most RPGs of it being like looking real, but then it attacks you and it's like being hit with a cornflake. Uh, <laughs> it's an actual, like, it will, it will act and do the damage and take the damage exactly as a normal unit, unless the other player disbelieves it. And it's the fact that you can at any point at the start of your turn go, 
disbelieve and click on an enemy unit. And if you're right, if it wasn't real, <laughs> if it was an illusion, then you get to then do something else on your turn. But if you're wrong, that's the end of your turn. So you oh, have really, this... that's different, because in the original Chaos, if you disbelieve, I think that's your entire turn. And if you're correct, then you can... Do, you can I might be wrong turn. there. But it's basically, it means that you have this wonderful thing, like, right at the start. <laughs> it adds a poker element to yeah. it. And the fact that right at the start, it'll be like, like somebody goes, vomp, and the other wizard casts, like, uh, like an elephant and it's like and you just sit there going fuck off have you got an elephant like, fuck off like that's not a fucking elephant and but then you, you don't... disbelieve and it's like the elephant is real and you're like god damn it <laughs> and that's your whole turn and then suddenly not only did you lose your turn but an elephant is now coming yeah, to I mean that's like a, a very really real elephant. a really bad start um, I, I love how funny it is though of like it, it just, it's such a simple system and it's a clever strategy game but and we always talk about this on Shut Up and Sit Down how we just always love games that are funny like yeah. in the situations they create and how, like, you know, in an eight-player game, you know, you've got wizards exploding and forests being created and eagles and dragons. And then maybe there's just you and one other player standing. And this is what happened when I played uh, the original Spectrum game with Kieran on his iPad. Um, of like, so finally he casts a Pegasus. And he climbs onto the Pegasus. And he's like, now a wizard on a Pegasus. He's going to take down the last wizard. And the other wizard's like, nah. And the Pegasus just vanishes because it was an illusion. And suddenly... Kieran is standing on the ground with no spells left. It's like, yeah, it was worth a punt, wasn't it? <laughs> That's exactly it. It's just like you you just got to give it a go. Um, and it is wonderful, like how sometimes it's like I had a thing right at the start where I just tried to like call in a manticore. And I, like, I was like, chances of this working are pretty low. But it was like, no shit, I got a manticore. And then like hopped on it. And I'm like, where's it on a manticore? And then the other guy just immediately goes, disbelieve. And it's like, no, really, mate. It's a fucking manticore. And you can you can just imagine that, like somebody on the other end going, fuck off. Like, yeah. how did you get a manticore? Uh, well, obviously they know it's a 30% chance. But it's just really, really nice in the way that you do end up like kind of frustrated, but because it's such a simple thing. And often I find that with multiplayer games, you can end up being frustrated, like because you've got uh, the enemy is using a power that you haven't got, especially in like, you know, you'd be like Call of Duty or whatever, you get fucked off by somebody using yeah. an underbarrel grenade launcher because you haven't got one. But because you've all got the same set of tools, and because the simple, the system is so simple of do you want to lie about this and get it for sure? Yeah. Or do you want to take the chance? You kind of. Sometimes you're like, oh no, like, but you can't ever really get angry about it because you'll end up doing it to other people. And plus the illusionary system is, the more you think about it, the more clever you realise it is from just like a frustration yeah. standpoint. Because like, if you ever lose your entire turn by disbelieving something, it means that, and it's real, uh, so you've, you've wasted your whole turn, but you're not annoyed because what that also tells you is that the other player took a spell with a really low chance of working yeah. and risked his go trying to make it yeah. work. So it's like, and then you've got, I think, the whole rock paper scissors psychology. You know how, like, if we both go dun dun dun, and we both give rock, chances are we'll both then go dun 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 scissors, like because yeah. you you naturally then your head second guess, like you naturally second guess what they're going to do to try and, and it ends up being this like weird psychology of what people tend to always do. Yeah, it means you, the psychology of it is wonderful because it means if somebody disbelieves and it's real, then it means then you can start casting illusions because it's very unlikely they're going to make that mistake again. <laughs> Or, I mean, what I like to do sometimes is, like, you know, you can, rather than wasting, like, if you go, like, oh, look, I've done a big elephant, and it's, like, people go, like, that's not, you probably didn't, that's probably not real. Uh, you just do it on the simple units. So rather than trying to take a big hit, you do something that's, like, already an 80 or 90% chance, but you just make it illusion. Because, like, who's going to disbelieve an eagle? It's only a fucking eagle. Like, and it, but then it means you don't, you definitely aren't going to fail the spell. And it ends up, like, you realise that it's, like, just within this very simple mechanic, there's a lot of depth and a lot of opportunities for either being massively audacious and a massive liar, or just being very sensible and trying to trick people into a, yeah. a sense of security. And it's so funny how complicated so many, like, online games, you know, become in terms of just so many interlocking systems that it's, it's fantastic to take this relic from the 80s, which, like, was totally forgotten which had all these brilliant ideas in it, and then just replace it wholesale into, like, Steam now. Yeah. You know, slap on some new paint and some modern multiplayer and features. And it looks great as well. i got yeah. to say, like, it's pretty. It's pretty game. I just love that these ideas haven't been lost, you know? Because yeah. in, in board games, it's great, because if you have a good board game, then it tends to get reprinted over and over, because board games are evergreen. But in video games, you know, sometimes ideas like, you know, even the Ken and Lynch Fragile Alliance stuff we mentioned before, that shit just gets lost. Yeah, it just goes. Doesn't yeah. come back. Besides, it, is, it is great. It's, it's such a simple little game. Um, and yeah it's one of those few things where it's like a lot of time with early access people get frustrated because often I think with early access what you end up with is a fragment of a finished game you end up with something like like I, I didn't like Starbound when I checked that out just because it was like well there was stuff there but it kind of felt like there was a lot of 
it gives you the full game, but with lots of placeholder stuff and lots of holes, whereas this is like, there's gonna be loads of different modes and loads of features that aren't there, but what's there, like what is there and playable, is pretty much finished and really tight. I don't get people being upset at early access because I think when people are like, oh, I played this early access experience, it was really annoying. I think what you're actually annoyed at there is the developers not executing the early access experience well. Like in terms of me yeah. playing uh, The Long Dark or Invisible Ink or Crypt of the Necrodancer, like all, or, or even Nuclear Throne, you know, like early access games that I'm playing, and that the developers are reliably updating and tweaking constantly. And then also new ideas that couldn't have existed otherwise. Yeah. Like, it's just fantastic. I love turning on Steam and 10 games update, and I can see how those games have evolved. Oh, um, oh God. Uh, what's it called? I'm trying to remember the other early access game that I've been loving, which is... Uh, oh, Work Brain! Well, ah! the thought into existence! It is a sort of... It has this Mega Drive-style art design, and it's... Um, uh, players sort of doing a Streets of Rage style thing through a dungeon but only one of you is uh, I'm going to make you put the name of this in the podcast description but uh, only one of you is actually a hero walking through the dungeon at any one point so like uh, you, you go from room to room right. and uh, then, but all the other players control the monsters and traps so they're ghosts floating around the screen and they can spawn a monster then they're controlling a monster so imagine playing Streets of Rage but three other players are controlling the bad dudes who are trying to beat you up and uh, so that's kind of interesting. But whoever lands the killing blow on someone who is leveling up at this point then becomes the hero. And so you're kind of tagging in and tagging out as you're going through these dungeons of like, you know, Matt, you're taking on three of us who are all controlling like monsters. But then when we kill you, we become that hero. And then it's all trying to level up enough that you can then take on a final boss. But it's really interesting. It's very yeah. good. That does sound interesting. Yeah, I, I'll show you a picture after you leave the podcast and you'll go, that's even more exciting and interesting than you made it sound. <laughs> oh man, it is a good time crawl. for games. Crawl. Crawl. C-R-A-W-L. Crawl. Like a dungeon crawl. Ah. That is also on my list of early access games what are good. Also, Mini Metro. That's a good puzzle game. I've got loads of these. I could go all day. <laughs> Great. Coming out the wazoo. Really good early access games coming out my wazoo. That's exciting. There yeah. are lots of good things and actually I've just got Elite and I'm looking forward to going through space. Yeah. Just because a lot of my friends have space. been playing that. It's just expensive, isn't it? Well, it's out now, so it's not... Oh, is it expensive. finished? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I wouldn't go for the £120 early access. That'd be mad. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's out, like, I think today. Is yesterday? it feature complete? Is it done? I don't know. I mean, probably not, but it's. <laughs> I'll find out. I haven't played it at all, so I'm looking forward to just fucking around in it. Uh, it should be a lovely time. And I've got a Wii U, which I'm going to use. Oh, I still need to... I've left that in my girlfriend's house like a Trojan horse, except not like a Trojan horse because the Trojan horse had something else inside of it when this is actually just a Wii U. Basically, it's a horse. It's you a just, horse. You put a horse, put in, a your horse in her living room. House. Good. Uh, just because I've sort of like, I kind of, I'd be great to play some games with her and I sort of thought, well, maybe she'll check out Mario Kart when I'm not there. You my never girlfriend know. is afraid of horses, so that wouldn't work for me. Well, don't don't put a horse in anywhere in the house then. Okay. Because, Jesus, man, that would be cruel. Uh, yeah, horses don't belong indoors, do they? Also, yeah, that's about it, really. Um, that's it. That's Christmas. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy. I'm going to be spending Christmas probably playing Destiny because I'm a monster. What are you going to be spending your Christmas doing? You know, I'm going to get Super the Super Mario What Got 10 Out of 10 on Eurogamer, what is good, that came out last year. 3D World? 3D World. It is pretty fun. I played it for 15 minutes and it had me smiling and laughing like a child. Okay, I'm going to get that. Which is a good thing. Cool. All right, well, I hope you all had a happy... Have, oh, God, it's not yet. I hope you're all ha going to have a happy Christmas. Merry almost Christmas. Merry everyone. Christmas time. Bye. Bye. Bye.